We have a history together that is rather odd, I think, given our business and how our paths have come together. And we're like, we're kind of family now, right? I would say. It, it's what we would have called, I, I call them God winks. Like, there's just this weird things that kind of, the choreography, this cosmic choreography that brings people together. And anyway, it's a great story. I don't know if you, if you want to get into it, but well, it's, my, it's, sure, of it's course, my, funny. my version of the story is I was uh, working at uh, Two St. Clair West um, at Mix 99.9 with the Humble and Fred show. And uh, we had this little kind of closety office. Uh, in the middle of the office, somewhere in between where the adults were, which is where News Talk 1010 CFRB was. We called that, you know, that's where we were just, we were the kids table. And then uh, down at the end of the hall were all the uh, program directors. And one day you, who I don't, we didn't really know each other uh, that well. You, at that time you were the news director, were you? Mm-hmm. And at CFRB, yeah. At CFRB. And you, this is my memory of it. You popped into the, the office and said, I have a picture of you on my mantle. <laughs> And I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and I, we come to, I come to find out that your son was at my wedding uh, as the date of my wife's sister. Right. Who is now my brother-in-law because they ended up getting married. And it was one of the strangest little things. I'm like, every, like Rebecca's dating Dave Trafford. Well, Dave, Tra- Dave, Tra- I heard of Dave Trafford. He's an adult. What's going on? Anyway, well, it was. I guess it was. It was probably funny in as much as that was might have been the first time that you even met him, right? At your wedding. Oh, it so was. It's not like that was the first time I had met right? him. Yes. So it's not like you would have even made the connection, made any. No, not at all. <laughs> so my end of the story is from. Uh, I think it was might have been um, Humble who told me this later. He oh, said. Right. So humble sitting at the table and they're getting, you know, they're all like at the reception. And I think Blair uh, Bartram would have been yes. there and Karen Steele. Yep. And they were, they were in the programming side of things at <laughs> at standard at the time. That's right. And, and they're waiting. And there's one table, one seat empty and it's got a place card and it says Dave Trafford. And they said, wow, Dave's coming to this thing. I, said, I didn't know that Dave knew Bob all that well, never mind. So anyway, about 15 minutes later, this gangly 16 year old kind of wanders That's up right. to the table, really shy. And he pulls out the chair and humble says, what are you doing here? And the guy says, um, he says, uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Dave Trafford. That's, that's my seat. <laughs> and so then uh, he gave, he gave my sons, well, you can imagine the lesson. Oh. <laughs> they wrote them all night pretty much. Right. Not like entirely. they were just on them the all night. Cause entirely. He, Cause Rebecca yeah. and he would have been only about 16 years old or so. In- I think that was their first date. Really, I like a big date out with other people. Oh you my know, they gosh! Had, right, they yeah, been, yeah, yeah. Right. So this was they've been big... going out, but not on date. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! That's so there so was his funny. intro to the family. 
That's right. <laughs> Put him at the table with Humble and Fred and uh, Karen and Blair. And oh, my God, I don't even know who else was at that table. That's hilarious. Uh, well, he'd already met Tom, your your father-in-law. And yes. the first time he went to that house, when they where were they? What was the uh, street there on Kingswood? Kingswood. And, um, and uh, <laughs> Rebecca's dad, as you know, is a handy guy. Yes. And uh, he was doing uh, work in their basement. And uh, so <laughs> Rebecca's going to invite... Uh, the new bow to dad and just at that moment it, tom puts his head through a sheet of uh, drywall that's right that's so, right yeah there has been some really auspicious introductions to, to this family oh from my, my son it's been pretty good it's been pretty yeah he's yeah. He, he's a good boy he's uh they he they uh because i'm an only child rebecca and uh, your son dave had a baby uh just over a year ago and uh he's my he's my first nephew so that's a that's a change for me i've never had a because i'm an only child i've never had a, a nephew or a niece so that's uh he's a beautiful little boy your grandson and that's your third grandchild correct Yep, James is the youngest of three, and uh, he was over on the weekend for a, a sleepover, and we had a grand time. Well, my mom and dad had an adult night out, so it was fun. We all need those things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so there's the background first. Uh, but you and I have, uh, along the way, had many um, a spirited conversation, I would say, about the media, the business that we've been in, and uh, the ever-changing landscape in which we work in, to the point bringing us to this point where you're not even in radio anymore and you've been in radio for quite a long time but you are now the let me get the title right because i really like the title you are now the executive producer and co-founder of story studio network correct mm -hmm. yeah and you know again you talk about the evolution in terms of career um that's one of them I, and it hasn't really been that much of a departure so what I'm hoping to do is still dabble in radio, but um, up until December of this past year, I was doing the weekend morning show on News Talk 1010. That's right. And, you know, and quite frankly, it got to a point where I just couldn't keep up with seven days a week. So I backed away from that. And um, about um, eight months ago, uh, Aaron, my daughter and I kind of had this collision of ideas and overlapping uh, business ideas and we've we've set up the uh, story studio network and essentially what it is is a, an opportunity for um, brands or organizations however you want to qualify it to create their own um, branded podcasting content and so we've done some really interesting series and a lot of it's issues driven based on my background in talk radio and uh, now we're starting to kind of broaden that range in terms of what we're offering in terms of personal branding, um, coaches, that kind of thing, where they're able to use this medium now to be able to um, really make a, uh, an interesting and a deep connection with their audience, with their consumer, with, you know, their champions, however you want to qualify it. And you'll know better than anybody that you know, how often does people say, well, podcasting is just like being on the radio. No, it's not really. It's, it's, a, it's a different listener altogether. And so what we've managed to do is find a place where um, brands have come to recognize the value of this medium, because literally you and I are in people's heads right now and at their choice. They've decided when they want to tune into Bob's basement. They've decided that they're going to subscribe to that show. So unlike Google, that when you go to Google or Facebook, they have cookies following you. The people who are listening are actually following Bob 
as opposed to the other way around, right? You're, you're, They're seeking not... it out. Yeah, it's... exactly. And it's a different behavior, right? So the beauty of all of this um, is over the last two and a half years, this whole audio on demand streaming, particularly spoken word streaming has just skyrocketed for a whole bunch of reasons. But um, because of that, there are better analytics now. There's a broader pool, a broader base to draw upon to be able to say, okay, what is it that you, how is it you listen? Why do you listen? How do you respond to ads? How do you respond to subscriptions and all those sorts of things? So we're able now to take that to a, um, a sponsor or a brand and kind of paint a pretty good picture of how this would work in a larger strategy, right? So it's, it's just been a kind of it's a little bit like the wild west <laughs> yeah it's all brand new right i mean um the guy who helps me put this together uh toronto mike from toronto mike digital services he just celebrated his thousandth episode I saw that crazy yeah. right like crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got had a thousand episodes of toronto mike and uh, he's a really good guy just to, honestly started off as a radio fan and kind of had a blog and ended up falling into this he helped humble and fred get their podcast off the ground and yeah he works with some pretty pretty fun people pretty interesting you know uh, uh um larry fedoric who you would know and sure. peter yeah. gross and mark hebsher and all these guys and so he kind of does what i, I think he kind of does uh, a version of what you guys do um, and he also, but he, you know, there's a part of his business that is, uh, helping these brands, these companies put together their podcast, but they're like, um, industry. They're so unique. They're just, they're not public, but they're really only going to the employees say that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And that's a whole other industry that I didn't, we didn't exist X amount of years ago. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that, that whole internal communications tool is yeah. a, a huge part of where podcasting has become really uh, beneficial. It's a great way to highlight, you know, some of your really creative staff or to onboard people, right? I mean, right. what better way would it be to have somebody come in, even, you know, working at your radio station, you, you've got a new uh, jock or a new creative person coming in. Here's the uh, six part limited series on how we do things around here. And here's who you should talk to. And here's how to, you know, the, it, sure. It's, it's a great way to make those. And then when they come to the meeting, They've heard what you need to hear as opposed to trying to read the, the, the HR pamphlet and, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> and that way they've got great questions or how can you contribute or, you know, it's a really kind of a uh, engaging tool to be able to use in so many ways. Going back to what you said about, you know, podcasting is just kind of like radio. It, it, you're right. It really isn't. And I, the term that I've heard and I kind of use sometimes is narrow casting versus broadcasting mm -hmm. because it's so specific. It's so uh, unique. I mean, you can see the advantage that celebrities have out of the gate, obviously, because they already have a built in audience. But yeah. it's it's amazing to they're still the, their numbers aren't as impressive as you think they would be uh, for some of these, some of these bigger podcasts. And uh, we won't talk Joe Rogan, but you know, the, there's a bunch of them on the Conan O'Brien's got a bunch of podcasts that he's put out um, with his team. And he's kind of, he's done with TV for now again, and he's using uh podcast as his main outlet right now. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I, I know I do, I'm a huge fan of his, but uh, I'm a big SNL fan. They're like, so like guys like um, uh, David Spade and uh, uh, Dana Carvey have a podcast series now called Fly on the Wall, and it's just about SNL, and they talk to old S SNL people. It's, uh, it's an interesting way for 
um, people who are fans of things to engage. And I, I'm interested to find out where it goes next with companies. Like you said, what did you use the term? Um, internal uh, communications. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, think, it, I, I think it's a, it, that, that kind of stuff will become almost to a point where, you know, I've, I've used the phrase often with clients, you know, be your own newsroom. Um, earned right. media these days is becoming more and more difficult to gain. For those of you who don't understand what that means, it's typically where you, you and your brand would have a, you think it's the best idea ever. <laughs> and you're going to, you're going to bring it to, you know, a newsroom or a journalist or, you know, a talk show or something you, you want to get on the show for an interview. And, it, it, you know, in the before times, that was a challenge, but you could do it. Since the pandemic has taken up all the oxygen, it's almost impossible. So you have to have an extraordinary story and a lot of money behind you and resources yeah. to find it. And then the other side of that is the media, that media part of the part of the media rather is shrinking. Fewer and fewer newsrooms, period. I mean, oh my gosh. We don't have a newsroom at CFRB anymore. You don't have one at CFRA. You don't have one at the big talk radio stations in Ontario alone, uh, just because of you know, efficiencies uh, and synergies as whatever you want to throw around. Budgetary and, restraints. <laughs> well, yeah. but it, it, you know, that's well, that's the state of the media. So that's why having this kind of opportunity to have a contained and a controlled conversation at a very targeted audience is really valuable for a lot of brands, whether it's external or internal. Find the guy who has money and believes in you <laughs> and, and get him to advertise, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> or more to the point, you know, it's not, it, there's that, but there's also the, the, the guy that is a champion and has some kind of passion about what you do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they say, Oh my God, you got to hear Bob's podcast. Why? Because he's gone. And, and all of a sudden now yeah. that just floats your boat. Right. So it, it doesn't happen as the same way for a radio show or a TV show for that matter. I mean, maybe a little bit with the streaming services, but certainly not the network shows. No, of course. I mean, no, not at all. I mean, yeah, the TV thing and is a whole other, I don't, I'm, I don't know enough about it to really get into it, but I am working for the first time in a radio station that has a television station. Uh, we have global TV mm -hmm. Kingston. So that, that that's yeah. a little something, but I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to get bogged down in right now because this is, you know, I do like to talk about change. That's what the podcast is about. And I wanted to ask you uh, here about something that you, you kind of told me once that uh, uh, about your involvement with uh, CIUT and, mm -hmm. uh, and when uh, CIUT came uh, to be, you were involved in that. And for me, that's, uh, I, I don't even know, like, how does a, how does a university go about getting a, uh, a over the air radio station? I mean, I guess it's not quite as important as it used to be, but at that time, how did that come into your life? Um, just before we go on, we're three minutes away from making history for the first time in 600 years on this very show. Right. That's right. It is two, two, two. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, uh, we're, we're at 219 on 22222. So it'll be 2220. It'll be 222. Right. And we are minutes. at uh, Big FM in Kingston. We're playing double shots all day because of it. <laughs> and, and it's Tuesday. <laughs> and it's Tuesday. That's right. So, uh, KFC today, by the way, they returned to Toonie Tuesday. Uh, oh, you, you, right get a, you get a two piece for $2 today. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here on this. Such yes. An auspicious very. Day. Yes. And it, I looked it up. I know I'm a geek this way. So the last time it happened was in 1622, where Tuesday was the 22nd of February. The next time it will happen is two years from now. It'll be 2422. And you so, 
not to get uh, okay i'm gonna get off topic here you know about the whole 22 thing with our family right my family yes, yeah, I, yeah, yes yeah. i do <laughs> right so my wife and i were married on october 22nd uh 2005 in which his son was at uh and uh our first was born was born on august 22nd uh 2010 and our third child was born on may 22nd 2015 all 22s yeah. so it's crazy. I don't know what big, it means. Big day in Bob's house. So All that's, that's I know it. is it meant that I had to apologize to Daryl Sittler because 27 can't be my favorite number anymore. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's it. That's all. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah. um, it just on, in terms of the, the this whole idea that uh, I've talked a lot about this lately because people said, well, how did you get started and all this stuff? Right. And I said, well, you know, it, it, it worked out um, that I just had an interest in, in doing radio. And at the time, this would have been... 1982 okay um th the university had a closed circuit um radio station which basically meant it was a glorified you know pa system. it's a pa system yeah right across the campus and the crtc decided that there was going to be there were enough fm stations in toronto at the time uh, so there was no opportunity to expand in into the market but in 82 they put out a call 82 or 83, they put out a call and said, um, you know, we're looking for, uh, uh, we're going to lift the moratorium. So a bunch of us got together at the station. So this was all volunteers. Uh, there was one paid individual who was the uh, station manager at the time. And are you interested? And I said, well, sure. You know, are you a student at this time at U of T? No, I'm, I'm a recent grad. Okay. So, uh, and I'm working, I was actually working for the, uh, the attorney general's office in, in, um, in here in Ontario. And anyway, we, we cruise along and, you know, it's a slow process with the commission and everything else, but uh, it was us. We had to do all this. We had to raise the fees at the university. So it required us to do all the politicking on campus to make sure that we had a student fee that was going to be designated to this, the radio station, just the same as the, the newspapers had or any of the clubs or school, anything right. that's going on at the university. And that in and of itself was a bit of an eye opener, just trying to stick handle the student body, the various interests on campus, the, the governing council, uh, SAC, the, you know, the, the uh, student government, all of these things had to come in. Anyway, however we did it, we did it. And we managed to get the fee introduced. And so once we did that, okay, now we could go ahead and say we had some money to back us up and away we could go. Uh, then it was a matter of going to the commission. We did all the paperwork we did our promise of performance and collected i think now it was about 150 letters of intervention for the station we didn't know what was needed so we just went and worked our got as much off. as possible we got as many as possible turns out we got more than you would normally get even if there were complainers about a, an application you would not get <laughs> clearly that many complaints so we got to the um the hearing and they were being held here in Toronto. And at the time the up for grabs were two, what I would say local now um, FM licenses. One was for Hamilton. And at the time it, it became CKLH, which was the FM station to um, the CK, CKOC in Hamilton. And that- um, 95.3? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then what, what was the other one? Oh, it was uh, what is now Boom here in Toronto. Right. So, um, and well, we, 
anyway, we are all kind of, we're sitting on the sidelines watching all the pros do their thing and all the big guys are in the room and Gary Slate's in the room and the Waters family's in the room and these guys from <laughs> Rogers and all, you know, it was all of us university guys kind of hanging around the sidelines watching what was going on. And it was, I don't know if you've been to a, a hearing and I'm sure you have, it just was, you know, the questioning from council, the questioning from the commissioners, it's just really down in the weeds and detailed and can get snarky at times and really challenging and everything. So he said, holy shit, man, <laughs> what are we in for here? <laughs> so anyway, we comes to our turn and we're all sitting at the table and our, our, the, the president, because we had to incorporate, he was the president of the and general manager. He makes the initial pitch. We each have our own part to play in terms of making some of the presentation or certain questions come up, you know, so-and-so will answer them and our lawyers at the table. We finish our presentation. The chairman looks around and says, okay, time for questions. We're all just grinding our teeth now. And uh, the first one goes to the lawyer. And I thought, oh, man, <laughs> start with the lawyer. So <laughs> lawyer asks this really complicated technical question about incorporation. And our lawyer says, oh, it's on I'm tab three, page 15, paragraph. This was what it means. Oh, sorry. Okay. I didn't, I didn't see that. I missed that entirely. That's fine. That'll be all for me. The chairman looks up and down the table. Okay, gentlemen, that'll do. Thank wow. you. Well, we're, I'm scared now. I'm thinking, okay, he had one technical question about our incorporation. <laughs> nobody asked us anything about our programming. Nobody Content, our nothing. Funding, nothing. So now we're all panicking. And about three months later, we get the notice. So this would have been the spring of 1986. We get the note, we get the notice. Application was successful. And in the notes, they noted that it it's so rare to see such a thorough and comprehensive wow. presentation in front of the commission. And it was all glowing. And we, well, you know, anyway. So off we went and we launched the uh, station in, uh, on January the 15th, 1987, from what was an old Victorian house on um, St. George. St. George. Yeah. 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 And they've knocked that down and built something new there. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my, we needed to take over the top floor and the varsity newspaper wasn't at all thrilled with our moving into their space. Of so course. There was another political campus fun games that we had to take care of. Um, but, uh, anyway, we all, we all got along eventually, but we had to renovate and build new studios in there and so on. And so my dad actually came in and he was kind of like our version of Tom Comerford, your father-in-law, he, <laughs> he, was, he was handy he could do, oh, great. Yeah. And, and do all that. So we had all the volunteers and, uh, so off we went, we launched the station, had great fun within about six months. This was a startup. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this was a startup. And I said, uh, you know, the things that we learned and we, we were just kind of going on. What did we know about running a business, number one, a radio station? So clearly we made every possible mistake you could make, every <laughs> one of them. And by, you know, about eight months into this, we're running out of money, right? We're in trouble. And we'd hired some staff. We hired some, so <laughs> um, the guy who was the, the general manager, he had met my mom, who was really good at getting uh, donations for us like for all kinds of stuff right and if not money in kind so she got us furniture and she got us like we had to paint and decorate wow. and all this mom was doing all this <laughs> so she's on the payroll anyway it turns out that the board turns against the gm and the president of gm oh he gets ousted 
I end up, I had been the chair of the board. I end up becoming the next GM at, then, uh, at the station. And the first thing I had to do was fire people. One of the first things I did was fire my mother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was bad. I had to fire my cousin's soon to be wife once. Um, but firing your mom might, 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 might just have that. And we still get along. We still talk. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, work, it works fine. Yeah. I have, I have, pre I have uh, presented at uh, at a hearing for the CRTC a couple different times for Evanov Radio, and it's a, uh, it is a harrowing. Uh, it is. It's crazy when they, uh, well, when CKLN uh, lost its license, and it's now Indy eighty eight. Um, we were involved trying to get that, and that we didn't get a Central Ontario Broadcasting got it, but that was an open call. Not that long ago, 10 years ago, maybe. And, you know, everybody thought radio was dead then. But it was amazing to see how many people wanted the signal. Oh, like, yeah. it, there's still value to that signal, you know, that yeah. that that bandwidth, that uh, literally bandwidth. We all use the word bandwidth now, but that, that bandwidth is, uh, is, is still very, very um, coveted. Um, your involvement there, were you on the radio at the time once you guys went on the air? Like, and you were the chair of the of the board. How did that work? Yeah, I'll, I'll yes to all of the above. I, yeah. I started doing a show uh, there with, uh, it was called, uh, it was a folk music show. It was an acoustic oh, music cool. show. And because, you know, that's what I do when I'm not doing this. Yes. And um, the I, I was working with um, the executive director at Mariposa Foundation. And we, you know, did about three or four hours of programming a week. So that was kind of what was fun about it and kept me in it. But for the most part, we had it was a volunteer-driven thing. So right. we had three hundred volunteers running that radio station. And not to get too bogged down into the details, but you said you were incorporated, but you're getting the most. Of your, you're getting your money from the school, um, yeah, from no, the student body. Yeah. No advertisers. Yeah, you you could have a limited amount of advertising. Okay. But, I mean, in the early days, there was nothing. It was that was that was the that was the challenge, right? Right, right. And now, is it was it technically a not-for-profit? Yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah yeah all right yeah it's so, community radio right so this is not your first so this is uh, your foray uh into or at least one of your forays into regulatory side of things mm -hmm. um you've been involved uh at different points in your career uh, uh on the lobby side of 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 things of uh of, of i don't know uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh you've been a lobby not a lobbyist but um the Canadian Council for Public-Private Partnerships, though that yeah. those guys are, are they lobbyists? Is that right? Am I am I using the right term? Well, you know they would they would disagree with that, but I think there are a lot of people who might might look at it that way. <laughs> uh, they're not registered as lobbyists. That was it was it, the the P3 Council uh, Public-Private Partnership was all about the association that represents the various sectors of the industry of the um, economy that are involved in building big infrastructure and oh. doing so through uh, public-private partnerships uh it's a it it's a really misunderstood uh, mechanism for um doing this but it's a procurement mechanism it's not about um you know corporation a uh running a private hospital that's right it's not what it is but it's too often um set out that way so for all of their efforts to clarify that uh, to your point i'm not sure that they were good at lobbying <laughs> um but that wasn't their point their, their their point was to bring the voices together to uh to make sure that if you're going to use p3 
P3s that uh, that they were done for the right reasons and in the right place. So yeah, uh, but that was kind of that was after Global left me, um, and that would have been nine twenty fifteen. According and, to your LinkedIn, yes, twenty fifteen November. Yeah, okay, 2015. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I bring it up because uh, I I knew this was going to happen at a certain point. Uh, every now and then uh, on this podcast, there's a moment where I realize just how little I actually know. And uh, we're, and talking to you about this stuff is I went Dave Bedini on. I'm like, man, oh, man, I am not smart enough to be having this interview, <laughs> to be holding this interview. Um, and I mean that with uh, the highest regard, of course. But I always have imposter. Yeah, imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, it. I, I do that all the time. I'm, like, I'm seriously talking to this person about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm I mean, with you, man. Well, <laughs> oh, man, my I mean, my mine is just just for fun and sometimes i'm like oh my god i am not at all qualified to talk about this <laughs> um but i am qualified to talk uh, about um changes in lives and how you deal with things because i think we all are that's kind of the my elevator pitch about the show is you know we are all experts in change in one way or another sometimes mm -hmm. we seek it out sometimes it seeks us out and i would uh, be remiss if i didn't talk about radio and what we do to our own as you said as global left you um, maybe we could talk just about how you, we, we don't have to go into the details, but you had left, you took a job, you became the news director for global television or, mm -hmm. and you take a, you left a very secure job for another job. And, uh, I don't even know how long into it you get let go. And like, how have you dealt? I know how I could talk about how I have dealt, but how, wh what got you through those times? Like how many, may I ask how many times it happened? A job left uh, you? Um, only the once. Just the once? I've had yeah. twice. I've had yeah. twice. So and and it, you know, I, I I I can tell you that I know that there should have been other times when it would have happened if I had been on the other end of that conversation. Um, <laughs> I, it's well, it, it, you know, it's being working in a newsroom. Um, there's no shrinking violets, right? I mean, everybody's got a, a point of view and a perspective and a pretty good grasp of the facts right. if nothing else i mean and well all due respect to our freedom convoyers but the, the idea being that we understood um for the longest time i think that once you got into that industry what you once you got into that profession that it was an important part of what we did on the radio and so particularly i was lucky enough to work on two talk stations in toronto and in fact, you talk about change. We, I just to go back to my, my, my <laughs> time at, at six forty. Yeah, well, I just I got it to six forty, and it was a country station that was broadcasting from studios uh, over the over a drugstore on Young Street in Richmond Hill. That's where our studios. That's were. the so big time, it, right there. It was it was the WKRP. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was you know it was it was great. Uh, we there was no front door for us. We always walked up the fire uh, the, uh, escape to get into the. It's charming. It's charming. It, it was. And it was. A, it was a fun place to work. But even there, you know, there was a commitment to the newsroom. And I remember um, we made a format flip in 1992. I think it was uh, from country, and this was Toronto's new country, <laughs> and we flipped it to just hard rock and roll the hog it was the hog <laughs> and you talk about a change oh we we had the best positioning uh, statement ever it was am 640 the hog everybody sucks but us 
Uh, I am familiar with that day because my grandmother, God rest her soul, was a huge, she was an old CFGM fan, uh, 1320. And, you know, um, she's kind they were country listeners and they were listening to 640 that day when that's, I don't know what time of day it happened, but she was listening to it. And uh, she was not happy. (laughs) She was quite upset. (laughs) Yeah. We went from Gene Autry to Van Halen singing, both singing happy trails. There you go. (laughs) See, this is some consistency. It it, it worked out really nicely. And it was like at five o'clock in the afternoon. So people were in the cars and listening when they went home, but we had to create, we, there was an understanding first, there was a a requirement by license to have a, a newsroom right and news. So they had to stick with the news. And we ended up doing, and I'll encourage anybody who hasn't done this already, go and look up the big eight. Right. And, and uh, you know, the, the days of Byron McGregor at uh, CKLW in, in Windsor 800, we mimicked that style of news, <laughs> right? And it, 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 if it bleeds, it leads was an understatement. We, it, you know, it was just incredible. <laughs> were, so you a, were you a reporter or director at that time? Like, were I you was our, a, I an was anchor? A, I was an assignment editor because okay. we had the two stations, Q107 and right. 640. And Bill Carroll was the news director at the time. Okay. And um, anyway, <laughs> we, so I was doing the afternoon uh, news run. And in those days, this is just as the um, first Iraq war broke out. Right. And I mean, we, it was the wacky Iraqis and, you know, it was oh just, uh, we, just, uh, anyway, we, it was just, <laughs> it was some crazy stuff, but here's the funny part about it. We took it seriously enough that we put like three clocks up on the wall. So we would know what time it was in Baghdad. We would know what time it was in, you know, in, sure. here on, in, in the East, Eastern time zone. We would know what time it was in, um, in France and Britain. So we could actually track the news that was coming and going. CNN was not really CNN yet. It hadn't really kind of kicked in until this war. I was going to say so the war. Yeah. Well, the war kind of made That's it. That's right? what made CNN. Yeah. I can still right. remember watching it, watching Baghdad, the, you know, the, yeah. uh, the green Peter, screen with the, yeah. Yeah. Well, Peter Arnett was doing great radio on television. If you remember, he had the satellite phone right. setting up. And then, and so we thought, well, hell, if he can do it. Anyway, I convinced <laughs> our engineers at the time, I said, we need a shortwave radio so we can listen in to what's going on in Israel. Because at the time, all the worry was that if you attack Iraq, they're going to turn their guns on Israel. And they had the Scud missiles, right? This right. The yes. Thing. So anyway, they figured it out. And so for those of you who are pre-internet, you will know what the shortwave radio was. If this is new to you, this was actually a, 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 the, the, you were able to tune your radio to a particular broadcast around the world, but it would only, you can only find it at certain times of the day, just because of the way, you know, the, the earth would, would turn the earth orbited. We'd, yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd lose, we'd lose the signal. Right. So Fortunately, we had the signal for um, the um, radio in, in Israel at the right time. And, <laughs> but they could only set the radio up for whatever reason in the engineering shop, which was not near the newsroom. It, so like, in the rack room, as we would call yeah, it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So and which was down the hall and around the corner and up the stairs and, you know, so in the most inconvenient place <laughs> in the building. So it, it, here we are at, I'm doing the afternoon shift and my buddy Dave Sprague was doing the evening shift then. So think about that. We're an AM radio station that's playing rock and roll to an audience that doesn't listen to news. And we've got an evening shift. We got a guy doing news until midnight. 
just in terms of change. Top and so, bottom. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So we're all <laughs> we're on top of it. So I'm thinking, okay, this sounds like the night that we're going to get the Scud missile, right? So I hang around. <laughs> I decide I'm going to stick around the station, but it means I have to go into the engineer, into the rack room, and and put the headphones on, and I'm sitting there listening to Radio Free Israel or whatever the what it was called. So I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, and then, oh, we got a breaking news alert out of Israel, Tel Aviv, blah, 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 reports of a scud attack on Israel. So I, we've all, we've got our cassette deck plugged into the shortwave, to the shortwave radio. Yeah. I, I, as soon as it stops, I pop the cassette out and I'm running running up the stairs and down the stairs and around the corner and through the corridors and all the way to the newsroom. And I'm yelling, Dave, Dave, Dave. And he's coming the other way. Dave, Dave. Dave. <laughs> I said, I said, I got, he said, we're getting reports out of ABC that there might be a scud attack. And I said, I got the report right here that there is a scud attack. So here we are. We're C H O G A M in Toronto. And we feed this tape to broadcast news, which is the wire service at the time. And we get credit for the breaking news story <laughs> across the cut. Like everybody picks a, it up. Oh my God. Of a scud attack going on in the Iraq war. Right. That's hilarious. And, and, and you know, we, we credited the tape obviously from radio Israel. Sure. But that was, that was our commitment to doing that. So right. fast forward. And when we get to, you talk about the years of change. You know, a buddy of mine, Paul Gatt, he had just posted on Facebook last week um, pictures of Barack Obama's visit to Ottawa in the, I guess it was February of 2009. And we were there. And Mark Carcassol, who now does the uh, the evening news, on the, I think on the weekends at uh, Global. And uh, he was one of our newer reporters at CFRB. And he was among those we took to Ottawa for the big visit for Obama. And a month earlier, we had been in Washington for the Obama inauguration with the big team. Bill Carroll was there and so on. And I looked at that and I thought, okay, that was momentum behind. There was wind behind us there because of what was going on in the world and how important it was. And our expectation of the audience was that we would be there to cover that story. We would be there, not just with a wire service, or not just with an affiliate, we would have our people there telling the story and relating it back to that audience. And after that, 08, 09, everything kind of began to change incredibly and fast because of the financial crisis. So I think that was one of the places where we first saw that big change. And I, you know, I said, how many times has, you know, has a job left me? That might've been the most stressful time of my career, that 18 months. And, you know, once, when we do an ask me anything session, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy to entertain some of the specifics about what went on, but we had, a, we, at the time we had a, an ownership change. We had the financial crisis. Right. We had all this going on at the same time and shrinking budgets. Uh, it was, it was an awful, awful time to be in what should have been you know a great opportunity for anybody in the industry particularly anybody in the news industry and so since then we have seen this significant decline and a fast decline in the size of newsrooms and the commitment to newsrooms um, and much of what's going on the last three weeks in ottawa i 
draw that thread right back to 0809. It's interesting, you know, um, I think, well, for the first time, I know our team, uh, our uh, Global Kingston team, uh, hired uh, security for the first time, uh, thinking yeah, about what's yeah. going going on in uh, related to that, to the Ottawa thing. Um, I, it's interesting. It sounds like it was like this perfect storm of, uh, I don't want to say negativity, but, you know, a perfect storm of, of outside influences that really uh, kind of tainted your your time there. And uh, and you're being very, you know, you're being kind in saying, you know, there's no there's no point in getting into the to the to the the specifics of it all. But uh, the. Um, uh, I'm going to have to edit this out because I just my my screen went off and I just lost my thought. Sorry. Maybe I won't edit it. I'll just I'll just live with it. Um oh. Uh, you've almost answered my question what which is what you know what I was going to kind of end with for us which is you know going back and 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 thinking about you know those almost 10 years you were the news director at 1010. Um and you know when you started to when you ended I mean those 10 years the change in technology in uh the economics of the business and now and everybody you know, fast forward to now i mean how do you even sum up how different it is right now to to do to cover news compared to even just 10 years ago like well i you know i think when i go back to that financial crisis 0809 and that was a sort of a monumental benchmark for newsrooms in general, just because that seemed to be a place where a lot of the cuts were made in, in, um, doesn't matter where you were, whether right. you were in, a, in newspapers or radio or television, you saw that effect. Then, you know, 12 years later, we're into the pandemic and it had the same kind of effect in a deeper level though, because here's what's happened. And not only are the newsrooms smaller, they don't exist in some cases where they did a year ago at this time. We, we've just eliminated them and for the sake of costs. So now, you know, the bell stations have CTV news on as opposed to their own newsrooms running in, in the locations where they, wherever, you know, Windsor, Toronto, Montreal, sure, yeah. and so on. Um, but here's the other challenge that, that COVID has brought to covering a story. And I don't think people are aware of it as much as they should. And in fact, Bob, I'm afraid they probably don't care. That might be all the more dangerous. When we now want to get an answer from the premier of the province on story of the day, we have to wait until he decides that he's going to hold an event or uh, he's going to actually have a news conference at Queens Park where most of the gallery is. And up until about a week or so ago, you didn't have anybody in the room. Everybody was on the phone. So Bob, what's your first question to the premier? And you can ask whatever question you want. Now you have one follow-up. There's a different dynamic in that scrum because in the old days, you, the premier wouldn't have been able to back away. You could keep going at him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And if you didn't, he didn't answer your question and he wanted to blow you off and say, Dave, what's your question? I'm going to say, well, why didn't you answer Bob's question? Right. <laughs> right. That, but that's, there would have been a, there's a certain dynamic and a life around that. And that really brought down, you know, this whole level of accountability. When you can make eye contact with somebody and ask them point blank, why or why not, they have to give you an answer. They can't squirm around it. So it's not like 
the legislature where question period is an answer period. When we have after question period, the scrums, you got, you've got answers. You've got accountability to some right. degree or not. Right. And you could play one off against the other. You could have had the minister saying this, the premier saying that, and the critics saying this. So, so now there's a, there's a certain flow to the story and, and there's some reporting that would go on. And if I wanted to know more about it, I'd walk down the hall and I'd knock on your door and say, Hey, listen, I just heard this. What's going on here. You can't do that anymore. And I realize for those who just kind of consume the news, it doesn't sound like much, but it's a big difference in terms of really being able to do reporting. And I think reporting has really suffered, not just because of the budget cuts, but because of the new, uh, I guess the, the, the rigors or the um, regime we have set around now, uh, actually getting to the, the people who are making decisions, the policymakers, the politicians, the public health officials, whoever it might be, that form, that one-on-one -on -one reporting, that one-on-one -on -one relationship has changed. And my ability, again, to sort of pick up the phone and just go and knock on a door uh, when I want to, it, it, it's, it's not doing that. So what's happened is this has created this cycle where the newsrooms have decided and figured it out. You know, you and I are both in our basements. But you, uh, if we hadn't told anybody that, it sounds like we're in a studio. Don't need to so send anybody anywhere. Don't need to send anybody anywhere. Yeah. I can figure all this out on my computer. I can fire it up. I can get great audio. Yeah. <sighs> I'm done. Right. And so <laughs> all of a sudden it, there, there's a real efficiency around costs and all that. And I'm afraid that that model is going to eat away at what has, what we have counted on as being good reporting. Cause quite frankly, I don't see a lot or hear a lot of good reporting. And it's, there's a whole bunch of things in there. Not because people don't want to tell good stories or be good reporters. We have created a mechanism and a system now that makes it really hard to do. On a much less important note, uh, I'm reading Rick Mercer's memoir right now, and he touches on this almost exactly. Now that you're saying it, he talks about how when he was on This Hour Has 22 Minutes and then the Rick Mercer report, he talks about how he could build a rapport with the teams of the of the politicians yeah. or, you know, and, and he how he could get that one on one. Now, at a certain point, he also had the celebrity to go with it. But before that, it literally came down to getting to know people who knew the people. And that involved like rubbing elbows, literally <laughs> rubbing elbows with people. And, and he, he credits uh, the, that relationship building uh, yep. to, to helping him make, you know, some of the, some of the great bits that he did. So that's really interesting uh, to, we, we look at things and I, I say this as a guy who runs a radio, couple radio stations. There is a, look, I run two radio stations in Kingston. I'm on the Danforth right now, you know, mm -hmm. like, so there's, there's that uh, convenience that, but there's also, I can't just walk down the hall when I hear something on the air and say to my producer, Hey, what was that? Can, can yeah. we just fix that? It, it's, it's a small thing because I can call him or text him or email him, but I can't have that face to face. Well, it's changed that relationship. I mean, yeah. I know this whole thing is about yeah. change. And, 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 and so I think that there are some obvious changes that we have coped with you and I, particularly in this, in this industry um, in a, in a fairly conventional way. But I think COVID has created this sort of ecosystem where we're, you know, you've heard the phrase often lately, you know, you're building the plane as you're flying it. And, 
and and now yeah look, look we're pretty good we can fly with one wing right yeah now, we can't land this bugger but we're no. gonna keep flying it. <laughs> it's not a quality flight but right? <laughs> it's gonna get there uh maybe we'll see yeah oh man i never even thought of it that way i mean the and well and then we you talked about the financial crisis the financial crisis of covid and how hard it hit radio was oh. just ridiculous like i was i was working for bell in hamilton at the time and uh when things started and within the first two weeks we were down 80 percent everybody pulled their money because it's all local it's all restaurants and and stores and and places that were closed we went down 80 percent in two weeks so uh, you can understand why you know i'm the big corporations get a uh quite quite the uh uh bad rap and 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 there's there's lots to be said for for that kind of ownership is uh, against it, that kind of ownership, but it is what it is. But literally when you saw the numbers and you saw the cancellations coming in one after another and another, and another, you're like, well, this is not going to be good. <laughs> like, well, is- the other side of it made it more difficult to, to, to cope with or swallow. Now, you know, I haven't been in management for, you know, seven or eight years now. And, and I'm quite happy. I, I, I <laughs> consider myself a recovering news director, um, <laughs> but and I, and I, so I fully empathize with guys like you who are in that chair, who are having to make the call because, Oh, there's, this is the reality of, of where you are. Um, but at the same time, these were the best, some of the best audience numbers the talk station had yeah. had in years. Yep. You couldn't sell them. Nobody, no, that's right. Everybody's listening, but nobody wanted to pay to advertise. Right. Because nobody would, well, none of your advertisers was in business. We oh, had legislated so. them out of business. That's <laughs> true. So for all of that, you know, and, and here's the worry. I mean, to, to be able to say what industry was most impacted by it. Well, in many ways, you know, that frontline media group was really affected by it. And the number of jobs lost were extraordinary. But can you imagine the outcry if somebody had put up their hand and said, could, could we have some government support for the media in this country? Well, CFL asked. <laughs> and they didn't get it. No, exactly. Right? So it, it just, it, but the number of jobs lost, it, it, it shrunk. It just shrunk. And it's, let's face it, it's, it's not coming back. No. Um, so, you know, and I don't say this in any kind of bitter way or anything else. I just think that to your point, we really need to, we're really bad at in, in this, in our, our industry, uh, where we're, we get this close to everything. Everything is, is about the, the tree and not the forest in so many ways. Um, and I've talked to a lot of broadcasters and certainly journalists over the last four or five years and said, well, how did you do this? And I said, well, first thing I did is I sat down and I said, who the hell's going to pay me to do anything that I'm skilled at doing? Right. And then I had to really kind of come to terms with that and, and, and ask the question then, you know, what is it that I know? And I, I spent probably three or four months after being let go at, at global, almost journaling. What is it I know? And what is it I'm really taking for granted? And why would it be that someone would want to hire me? So just a quick, I know you, you want to go here, but I got to just, just sort of put a punctuation point on this. March of 2020, I'm working on three podcast shows that I'm producing, getting paid to do it. The pandemic comes along. And within the next five months, so from March till August, I end up working on 10 shows 
at the same time. Not one did I pitch. Oh, I only pitched one show. And that was a show about pandemic. And I pitched it, <laughs> pitched it to Bell and they said, yes, let's do it. I remember so, you doing that. Yeah. So 10, so nine out of the 10 shows came to me because they knew what I did and they understood what I did and they knew me for what I did. So, it, it, you know, if you really want to kind of cope with change, I don't care what industry you're in, don't take for granted, you know, what you know. And I know that sounds really simple, but yet we all suffer from this curse of knowledge. We don't think it's important, right? We don't think it's a value to anybody else. Well, that's the word and I was about I, to use is value. Yeah. Recognize I, your own value. Well, and putting a value on it. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. And, and in many cases, I've gone out and I've said, here's, here's, here's what we're doing. Can you do this for us? They'll ask and I'll say, yeah, well, what do you want? Blah, 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 blah. Well, how much will it cost? And I'll put a, put a dollar figure on it. And they'll say, okay, right away. And so I think that's great. I got the gig. That's bad because I probably undervalued it. Yeah. So, you know, but it, that's not the end of the world because the next time I'm going to come along. And so relatively speaking, based on the first one I did to the lot, the one we most recently negotiated, it's like six times more. Wow. Well, but people are paying well, yeah, exactly. Good for you. It's uh, and they find value in what I'm giving them at that price point. So, you know, and if they were to say no, okay, well, what do you think's fair? Um, so I had to learn to do that. Learn what you know. Well, when I was uh, yes, I will we'll end on that. I mean, we could talk. So I, you're right. I do like to keep it under an hour, like 45 minutes, an hour or so. So you know, I um, I believe that's actually on. Uh, you just tweeted something about keeping a podcast short. Um, <laughs> <You did. laughs> And here we are at almost the hour mark. Um, oh, man, I I think radio needs to figure out what its value is. We need to reset. Yeah. We need to reset everything yeah. with radio. Yeah. Not, you ended on such a good note, but I'm going to ruin it by putting my own thoughts in. Um, <laughs> radio needs to figure out. We need to first of all, we need to change the system in which people pay us to advertise with us. People don't are not going to listen to 30s anymore. I'm sorry, but 20 year olds do not listen to 30 second spots. They don't care. They will be gone. They can click uh, on YouTube. They can say goodbye within five seconds to everything. They don't know a world where they have to wait for anything. So like the, the change with radio is so large and systemic. I'm, I'm afraid it's, I, I, I hope I can be part of making it happen. That's all I can say is because I fight this fight all the time with the company that I work with and for. I don't fight it, but I was like, guys, we can't just keep selling 30s and traffic tags. You know, like this, there, there needs to be something uh, new. And, and I don't know if I know the idea, but I know that what we're doing isn't working and assigning the value of what radio is is definitely part of it. So just to sum up what you were saying on, you know. Well, I, I would dare say that those who are running the, the, the companies and I realize it's hard to turn that Titanic around. Yeah. But you know, it is what, what is it, you know, and why yeah. is it that people come to you start there? Yep. And you know, I mean, I, you and I could yeah. do a whole series oh my on gosh. ownership and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. My friend, Danny Kingsbury, you know, once said maybe the answer to, to, to radio is to only allow the big companies to own in the major markets. And then after that, it's the local guy who owns in Pembroke and Kingston right. and, yeah. you know, London, um, that would change a whole lot, right. To your point. Uh, but it's going to go the other way, <laughs> but it comes <laughs> down to assessing and really yeah. having a strong sense of what the local value of radio is. And I, I, I'm with you. I think that, 
you're you're underestimating that right now. Absolutely. So the, it is the Story Studio Network. If uh, what you hear here from uh, from Dave uh, interests you, if you think you might have a, a company or a, a a podcast idea, he can help you produce it, put it together, and. Uh, uh, he's a hell of a musician himself, too. We could do a whole episode on talking about music with you, the music you make, and we didn't even touch on it. Um, uh, Dave, I consider myself lucky to be a part in some small way of the Trafford clan. I uh, I love hanging out with you guys and your son and been lucky enough to be up at the cottage and hang out with the family. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule and hanging out with me for my silly little podcast. No, I enjoy it. Listen, we, we silly little podcasters got to hang together. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave Trafford. Again, at Story Studio Network. We got to stop making changes. This has been Bob's Basements. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That's the way it is. For more information, email Bob at bobwillette at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette, like Gillette with a W. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Willette. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.